Lots of emerging markets going through all sorts of trials and tribulation at the moment. This time last week, we were reeling at the surprise 50 basis point increase in interest rates that the South African Reserve Bank had introduced as a mechanism to try and stop the runaway rand. It came hot on the heels of a decision by the Turkish Central Bank to raise interest rates by 425 basis points. Uh, The Brazilians had raised rates. Many of our emerging markets compatriots had raised interest rates. But five things we could learn from the Russians this evening, and I thought this would be fun. Uh, because Glenn Silverman spends a lot of time traveling the world. He's fairly recently, I think, been in Russia. He's the chief investment officer at Investment Solutions. And you've got five reasons for us this evening, or five lessons, I suppose, that we can learn from the Russians, Glenn Silverman. Um, Give me a sense, please, from the perspective, I suppose, of us being part of the Fragile Five, where Russia's managed to avoid that particular label. They have indeed, which is great, although their currency has still been very weak. So they have other issues we can talk about. But if I come up with five reasons where and, and lessons I think we can learn from them, all of which do impact on the currency. <clears throat> the first one is, <clears throat> excuse me, we have a double deficit in this country, which means both our government is dissaving and also on the trade account. We have more imports than we have exports. They don't have either of those. So I think that's kind of a positive in their favor. The second thing is they went through a very difficult 10-odd years between 1989 and 1998. Many of us will recall 89, the falling of the Berlin Wall, and the end of this whole USSR, um, you know, the Soviet Union as we knew it. In 98, they defaulted on their debt, and that taught the Russians that they needed to be very conservative and defensively positioned. So, for example, very different to South Africa, they have a trade account surplus. We have a deficit. They run huge forex reserves. We have some, but much smaller. And they run very, very low debt to GDP. So, consequence of those two massive events is a very conservative positioning of uh, at you know country level, which but, I think but, is good. But how do they manage it? I mean, uh, stereotypically, my idea of what Russia manufactures is uh, vodka. Um, <laughs> when when the, you look at their trade account, um, how do they keep a surplus? How do they keep their foreign reserves so healthy? And how do they keep their debt so low? This is an, a very unequal country emerging from, um, se- from, from many decades of authoritarian rule. How have they managed to keep the, the numbers on the right side? So you're 100% right. I think they manufacture just about nothing, and I don't even know if they manufacture vodka, but they certainly drink a hell of a lot (laughs) of it. But when it comes to the trade account and everything else, it's a 90% correlation with oil and gas. So they have some of the biggest and largest oil and gas reserves in the world, and it's been those prices at oil well, well above $100 which have allowed them to run these surpluses. So if they run the surpluses because of a commodity that we don't have or that we're not exploiting, it, then we may very well have some offshore oil and gas. Um, is it a fair comparison? Can we really learn much from the Russians when they've got such a huge economic advantage over us? Well, I think very much so. The fact we don't have oil and gas means we have to be even more conservative in our positioning to withstand. And the truth of the matter is we're a very small boat in a very large ocean, so not much South Africa can do to avoid being hit by the, the tempest, the storms out there. But if you do run with less than they have, and they are very richly endowed, I think you need to be more conservatively positioned, especially in a world of tapering. Uh, absolutely. But that, in, a, in a world of political expediency, being conservative and spending less on your citizens who have put you into power is kind of tough, isn't it? 
Yep, it's kind of tough, and that's why no one does it, and that's why they have to do it. So as a, as a strategist, as an economist, we're saying these are the right things to do, but absolutely, as a politician, it doesn't keep you in power for long. And I look at South Africa, and I look at the, the stability of our banking system. I look at King, the King Report, King 1, King 2, King 3. I look at corporate governance. I look at the way in which we manage our competition issues, and I look at the, the, the high level of corporate governance in South Africa. People who are fingered for, for doing wrong are, are are crucified for it. My sense of Russia, and you've been there more than I have, is it's not the most ethical of places to do business. You've been very kind, I think, to the <laughs> Russians, and I think okay, we need to rec- corruption and fraud and cronyism. Yeah. So in the World Economic Forum rankings that we lost, for South Africa actually ranks number one in a whole lot of areas of good corporate governance. And we are very, very strong in those areas, audit standards, our stock market controls, etc. And Russia scores very, very badly there. So we talk about the return of the czar, and that's what it feels like. The king has returned, and his name is Putin, and he sits at the top, and his, him and his friends is very wealthy. Are you suggesting we should be following that model if we're looking at five things we can learn from the Russians? So uh, my third lesson was do not follow this one, <laughs> which is a lesson we learned from the Russians because it's led to, to, to very dire consequences. Going there in very negative sentiment and, and people are very concerned. Uh, many of the youth just said we give up. We just, you know, it's never going to change. And Russia for 300 years suffered under the czars and we have it back. But, but, but here's a situation where you've got this um, the situation, the, the Russia discount, as you refer to it. However, they've got economic fundamentals that are pretty healthy. And that suggests that there's a very strange dichotomy at play in Russia. It shouldn't be working as well, certainly from a global perspective anyway, as it is. Well, I think the consequences of those two events that I spoke about meant that they, they had to run surpluses. They, they felt very vulnerable. And in fact, the first eight years of Putin's reign, he did some good stuff. He brought reform in place. He, he built up these reserves, etc. They now are squandering them because he's now become more autocratic and he wants to hold on to power. And part of that also comes down to property rights. We know that in any economy where property rights are not respected, the money finds a way out of the country and finds a way to be invested elsewhere. Wealthy people don't like to have their assets at risk, and that ultimately undermines the country's balance sheet, surely. That's 100% right. I mean, we, we talk in Russia about the oligarchs, these guys who became phenomenally wealthy over a very short period of time, typically because they were friendly then with the Yeltsins of the world and now with the Putins of the world. But once they've amassed their wealth, they want to get it out as soon as possible because if these assets can be taken away, as happened with Khodorkovsky, who was recently released, but now he was the wealthiest Russian all of 10 years ago and he went to jail for 10 years for crossing Putin. And then, I mean, I look at the structure of society, and this is something I didn't know. You sent some numbers to me saying that um, there isn't really a middle class in Russia. We've got 10% mega rich, 70% people living in poverty, and and very few in between. It feels a little bit like South Africa. Well, I don't think we're quite in the same position. Their mega rich are truly mega rich when they buy a trophy home in London, unless you're spend, spending north of two, three hundred, four hundred million dollars, you're just not making a statement, bottles of champagne at $50,000 that you just pour out on you because you can, or the type of ostentatious shows of wealth that, that are, they are famous for. So I think an important lesson is we do need a middle class, and you need a middle class that's protected, who are not too highly taxed, incentives given to them to create small, medium enterprise, which we think is a critical lesson. We, we got that from our India trip and our Brazil trip. We need to create more small, medium enterprise because that's where employment growth comes from.
I mean, you, you, you're highlighting five big issues here that afflict Russia. Is it your sense that we are at risk of going down a Russian path and some of the negatives that you point out in terms of getting this uh, corrupt elite which effectively pulls all the strings where we've got poor property rights and where um, the middle class is largely ignored? I think at this point in time, we still have very strong institutions. I think we still have very strong property rights. But as those are weakened, and if those are weakened, and if cronyism and these type of things take over, as we saw in Russia, it leads to massive capital outflows. They're the, the leader in that. So amongst these BRIC countries, Brazil, Russia, India, China, we see $50 billion per annum plus. And we kind of, you know, we, we, we had a listing of them. I think it was $950 billion that left these, these countries in 2011. Foreign aid into the country was totaled $150 billion. So those are both billions. So at the end of the day, you don't need so much foreign aid. You just need your local residents not to be taking all their money out. And we face that problem in South Africa as well. I mean, we have exchange controls in place precisely to prevent the, the large-scale flight of capital, and it's been in place for decades. I think that's largely right. I think at the end of the day, at the individual level, because you can take so much money out, there's almost no exchange controls in place, but not the confidence to dismantle them totally. And we do suffer from very, very significant levels of capital outflows. And I think property rights are are one of the concerns. Uh, When you look at Russia and you look at the, the challenges they face, do you see those parallels with us? It was interesting. We went to Russia. We really went because of the last of the four bricks. So we said we had to go. I mean, nice to see the pretty girls and the, the lovely environment and some famous buildings, Kremlin and others. But it was more a completion factor. But when we went there, we came out with strong parallels, lots of things we thought were similar to South Africa differences, but some very important lessons. I think we've highlighted five here that some of them are lessons to follow and some are most definitely lessons not to follow. Glenn Silverman, the Chief Investment Officer at Investment Solutions on the line to us from Cape Town this evening. Thank you for coming through to us, Glenn Silverman. Um, yeah, fascinating trip. He and Chris Hart have travelled a lot together. Chris Hart, the economist, and they've seen uh, the, the BRIC countries and have filed various reports in it, but the interesting one from Russia this evening.